the masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Zayas Where would we be without THC? side chatters when it comes to analyzing the reality around us there are two camps first there are those who see a prison planet a material world mind trap run by archon overlords slowly sucking the energy out of the masses until the day we die and then there are those who see a brilliantly designed environment of mesmerizing beauty where the illuminating light of the grand architect pulses through every facet of his creation well whatever the intentions might have been the commonality between these opposing worldviews is the recognition of a sophisticated code and pattern to our world an acknowledgement that from the conch shell and the coconut to the human body itself, an elegant array of ratios, equations, and sacred numbers are the very bricks and mortar that structure this material realm we find ourselves in. And that as far back as we can trace civilization, fraternal orders, secret societies, and mystery cults have been analyzing, preserving, and some would say attempting to break this very system. Well, people, these will be the plates we're putting on the table tonight as the great Marty Lead serves up some serious insight once again. He's been here twice before, first talking about Gematria Pi and the Sacred Code, and then again just a few months ago after the release of his Flat Earth Litmus Test video, which has amassed half a million views on YouTube. He's just released Volume 3 of his book series Pi and the English Alphabet, and I couldn't be more psyched to have him back. The Mathemagical Magi himself, Marty my man, welcome back to the higher side. Hey, thanks, man. Hey, that was well written. <laughs> you should be a writer, dude. Thanks, man. I'm all style, no substance. <laughs> but but thanks for being here. You know, you are one of the few guys I've stayed connected with through this podcasting world, and I'm thankful for that. And so much has happened just in the short time since our last show. I definitely wanted to talk to you about this new book, but maybe to grease the wheels here, we could talk about current events. You know, of course, we're in the midst of the Pizzagate investigation and Stemming from this is a major crackdown on conspiracy when it comes to the major websites. David Seaman left Twitter. You left Facebook. I mean, how much did some of these things tie in to that decision to move on from Facebook? Uh, a whole lot of it. I've been kind of like burned out from all of it. We were just talking before the show, but basically when the Pizzagate thing hit, I was pretty immersed in it. And I've been immersed in it like for about a month and whatever it's been now. Every single day. Mm -hmm. And it's just overwhelming. It's been pretty traumatizing. And so I'm actually kind of at my wits end with the sort of truth or community or whatever. I, I basically, I just kind of need a break. I need to really sort of just decompress and, and step away from social media for a while because it's, it gets to you. There's, there's a lot of negativity out there. There's a lot of the, you know, you're a gatekeeper, shill, yep. you know, Mason, and I, honestly, at this point, I'm just kind of sick of it. I do the work I do because I want to help. That's the whole impetus behind it. That was the impetus of starting the thing, and so I put it out there, and if people are interested, they can come and check it out, but as of right now, as far as constant interaction with social media and that sort of thing, I, I, I kind of want to step away, and with the Pizzagate, it's as far as I know, I mean, I just left Facebook. And as far as I know, they've really kind of put a crackdown within the last week on uh, sharing controversial information and videos and things like that. I had just seen TrueStream Media did a, a, a really great video on how she or they had shared a video and it was it was looking like it was going crazy viral. And YouTube stopped the views. Facebook put all these warnings on it and stuff like that. And I'm I don't. I don't want to be a part of those platforms anymore. If 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 the people behind those platforms, being Twitter, being Facebook, being whatever, including YouTube, I mean, that's my last bastion there. But <laughs> if they're going to be engaged in censorship, I do not want to support that. And I want to step away from that. So that's a very conscious decision. Yeah, I get that. You're a man of principle and I salute you for it. But it has been driving me nuts that so many people are eating up this fake news narrative and repeating it so confidently because these social media sites like Facebook and Twitter and Reddit, they've been heavily compromised, if not from the very beginning, 
And along with the major news networks, they're built for exactly this kind of containment. Mm -hmm. And people need to be reminded of that and consider it heavily because it should be a major red flag when we see this type of coordination across the board. Usually they just ignore alternative opinions, but there is a serious demonization and circling of the wagons going on right now that I think people need to pay more attention to. Yeah, and I I mean, I think the Pizzagate thing is definitely ramped up their their engines on it too because it was going viral. You know what's so interesting about people we had just talked about this a little bit, but people calling Pizzagate a psyops or whatever, right? Yeah. That this this is all just fake and this was put out by the establishment all to just trick us and things like that. And this is very <laughs> infuriating to me. Like it just downright pisses me off because like I said, I've been immersed in this and I've I've seen it. I've seen I've been on 4chan for days and watched those threads being deleted. I watched those JPEGs that people were amassing getting deleted. I watched people getting tw accounts being deleted from Twitter and things like that and suspended on on Facebook and all of this stuff. And whenever you see a a truce a false flag or a psyops, what does the media do? They cover it like fucking mad. You know, I mean, look at look at Orlando and Pulse. Right. I mean, everybody's Facebook, they all changed it to the the rainbow flag and people were covering it like mad. The Boston bombing, the same sort of thing. San Bernardino, the same sort of thing. You get massive coverage because that's the point is that they're trying to cover. This was going on for well over a month and a half, two months, whatever it was. And no one was saying shit. Yeah. So if if it was a if this is supposed to be a psyops by the government, they were doing a terrible job of it. <laughs> it was it didn't fall in line with the the narrative and and the 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 playbook that they usually use. Mm -hmm. And this was so organic, which is which is really frustrating to hear so many people talk about it being a psyops because I was part of it. I was I was on those threads. I was looking at this stuff. I had posted a few things. I had ended up really communicating with a, a ton of different people. And it's just, yeah, it's just really, it's really frustrating. Mm -hmm. It is, man. And I like to think I went pretty deep on this. I mean, I know most of the major story and maybe you've gone a bit deeper than I have. Obviously, it's dark material when we're talking about pedophilia networks among the elite. But what, what do you think bothers you most about this story at, at, at the deeper depths? Okay, so yeah, it, this I've been pretty traumatized by it, depressed. Like, that's sad man. <laughs> I kind of I haven't I haven't been taking care of myself. Oh. So that's that's another reason. Yeah, I'm I'm not asking for sympathy from the listeners or anything. This isn't a pity party or anything like that. But the thing about this is that and, and several of my friends, we all kind of like I said, we were bouncing information back and forth from one another. And during this, we all kind of just ended up perusing a lot of like Twitter accounts, Instagram accounts that were all connected to a bunch of these people that were commenting on James Oliphantus's Instagram account and many of the other accounts, you know, associated with him. And you saw all of these people communicating in one way or another in this very sort of cryptic way, using a lot of the same code words, saying a lot of sort of like lewd and lascivious shit that was obviously not geared towards consensual sex, if you will, all of that. And, and droves of people, hundreds to thousands of people that could very well be implicated in something of this nature. At what level, who knows? But I mean, I know for a fact that there was one or two Twitter accounts, I think it was Zero Hour, I think was the person's name, that had they got their account suspended right away, but they had posted they were doing the same thing. They were going on Twitter and Instagram and linking all these people up and saying, hey, here's a list of people you need to look into. It, that's That might be a little irresponsible because you don't want to just assume people are engaged in pedophilia, especially if they're innocent. That's a terrible thing. But it's very, very fucking clear to see if you actually did the work, what is going on. Mm -hmm. And that is just frightening to me. And you and I spoke and said, you know, we've no, we know this stuff has been going on, right? I mean, anybody that's sort of been in the conspiracy circles or whatever, David Icke's been talking about this shit for 25 years, whether you believe in interdimensional reptilians or not, this stuff has been talked about for a very, very long time. And it's one thing to know about it. It's one thing to kind of compartmentalize it in the back of your brain and know that it's going on in some dark fucking seedy corner of Washington. But it's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother thing when you see a goddamn subculture built around it and that that subculture could actually be tied to 
certain government programs like the, the Project Monarch or MK Ultra and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how expansive are these programs? Is the question is what really brought up when I and a lot of my friends started looking into this. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it really is the scale that is one of the things that seems most shocking. Yeah, this isn't Jimmy Comet and some, you know, risque pictures that he posted online and some stupid emails from Podesta. That's not what fucking Pizzagate is, people. That's not what this is at all. Mm-hmm. This is a, a door opening into the wicked, evil, malevolent, malicious, satanic fucking world of what goes on at the higher levels. Right. And we got we got a door that cracked open and a little light shone through that we could see into this and actually get a chance to expose it. And so I say, you know, Godspeed to fucking Godspeed to those people that are doing that right now. Amen. And so looking at this as much as you have, what would you say to to critics that are saying things like stop being paranoid? This could easily be code for drugs or something else or that liking shocking art isn't a crime or these sort of dismissals that I'm seeing everywhere. You know, this is the thing that I most people that are have taken this investigation very seriously. Most of these people that I see anyway are basically saying we just want an investigation. Yeah. If this isn't pedophilia, great. That's wonderful then. <laughs> I think everybody would breathe a sigh of fucking relief if that were true. We don't really believe that to be true. But there is and this is something I'm I'm doing a an hour long video on Pizzagate and I'm basically just summing up the story. I'm not really adding anything. I'm not taking I'm just basically just doing a sort of a storyline on everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the video I basically just say If you look at all of this information and you say that there's nothing to see here or there should be no investigation going on, I mean, I think you're nuts. If I was an FBI agent, right, and I was working in the child trafficking unit at the FBI and I'd worked my whole life to try to stop pedophilia and somebody came up to my desk and plopped on my desk one of those paste bins that were on on Reddit or all, you know, all of the. All of the emails and all the pictures and all the links and all the, you know, the encrypted emails and all the connections and all the people involved and all of this stuff and all the inconsistencies, that, that would be a fucking gold mine. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would be peeing my pants at the chance to be able to actually look into this stuff and start an honest, sincere investigation into this. And that's really what people want. So if people are saying that, they should be saying that. We should be questioning, hey, maybe this is all just nothing. But guess what? We're never going to get that answer because as we can see, the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Justice are sacks of shit. They're not doing anything and they're not going to do anything. And so that really right there should be a huge wake-up call to everybody that's listening. Whether these people are guilty or not, we can see that the Department of Justice and the FBI are doing nothing and so they are in bed with everybody else. So what do we do about that now? Right. Our, your, our justice system is screwed. Right, exactly. So what, what, what do we do? What's the next move? <laughs> It's rough. And it really does bother me when people kind of just dismiss this out of hand because the New York Times has already thoroughly debunked it. Credible journalists have already looked at it. And meanwhile, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Meanwhile, the New York Times came out essentially after the election and was like, we're going to rededicate ourselves to journalism because we got everything wrong in this election. We thought Hillary was a shoe in. Well, obviously, that's because they weren't doing any fucking journalism whatsoever. Right. So obviously, that article alone, I don't know if you ever read that article, but it came out like basically November 9th or whatever. <laughs> basically, they implicated themselves in, in being a mouthpiece for the Democrats. Yeah. It's like, OK, well, you you just showed that you had no journalistic integrity. Mm-hmm. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> but it does bother me when people say this could be code for drugs because – that means they haven't really looked at the context. And when you look at James Alephantis's Instagram, it's not pictures of pizza in the shape of a pot leaf or people snorting pizza. It's pictures of a slice of pizza over someone's crotch, a naked person, or two people 69ing on a piece of pizza. I mean, they're not hiding it that much. And that's another scary element. But it's like one of those things when you're you know, deep into some taboo they just, I guess, want to scream it from the rafters. You know, they just get a real kick out of uh, snickering and chuckling about how close they're flirting with exposure to some degree. And I think there's just so much smoke here. There's no way there's not at least a little bit of fire. Yeah. And and people, well, people that are saying that, okay, well, this could be a code word for drugs. Okay. 
If that's what it is, then you're telling me that hot dogs and pizza are code word for drugs. That means Obama's flying in 65 grand worth of fucking cocaine. Also a crime. <laughs> also look, also an enormous crime. Yeah. So even if that's what it is, that's what I mean by the, by the DOJ and the FBI not doing anything about it. There's, there's obviously something to look up here. I mean, two or three of those emails is enough to start a, a full-scale investigation, in my opinion, mm -hmm. especially with what some of the things are being said. Even if you didn't know the FBI code words, even if they were completely bereft of what any of that stuff means, mm -hmm. there's still enough there. But the point that I want to focus on now, nothing's being done about it. So what do humankind do about it? Right. What do we do about the fact that, at least from my opinion, it becomes very, very clear – very clear that there are a probably satanically based. That's my opinion. Of course, I believe that 100% that this is, this is satanically based, but you have child trafficking kid fuckers yeah. in Washington. What do you want to do about it now? What are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Cause I mean, at, at this point, this is one of the things that I'm a little sort of burned out, if you will. I'm kind of tired of talking about it. Yes. I'm tired of, I'm tired of this. The YouTube podcasting interview kind of shit like, oh, look at all the problems of the world. Okay, great. So we have all these problems. What's the next move? I don't know. I'm not saying I have the answers. I guess maybe that's why I'm on this show to ask <laughs> help, help. Yeah. But, but we need to do something about it. And that's that's what affected me so much to know that there are, at least from what I've read, there are 800,000 children in the United States alone go missing every year, even if that's 5,000 children. That's fucking 5,000 too many in my opinion. Yeah. So we need to do something about that. We need to stop this madness and we need to act and we need to start now. Mm hmm. Yeah, you're right, man. I've said some of the things myself because sometimes it does seem like the alternative community is just in a cycle of lecturing itself. Not a ton being done at a certain point. I call it the educational circle jerk and child trafficking is the kind of topic that should hopefully pull us out of that and into some true accountability. And assuming there is some real fire to go with the Pizzagate smoke and that it really is as entrenched and far-reaching as we tend to think it is, do you have any hope for this idea that people are talking about that Trump is just waiting until Obama loses his pardoning power and that after the real changing of the guard, we might see some true justice on this thing? I, I just had Tracy Twyman on my podcast, mm -hmm. and she was basically saying and something that she had been discussing, I think, since like 2005 or something. But basically this idea, and I've heard it many, many times before, that you basically can't get to those positions in power anymore unless you've been blackmailed or right. basically filmed having sex with somebody underage. Because as she was saying, and I thought it made a ton of sense – that they can't get you for anything else anymore. Like if you get busted with a couple whores and a half a gram of cocaine or whatever, and you're a senator, they'd be like, ah, that sucks. But ah, you'd be back in your seat in two weeks or whatever. No, or you know, you cheat on your wife. No one cares. But that stuff can be overlooked. But when it comes to this, that crosses a line. So I think that that's that really could be what's happening in the upper upper levels of government. As far as Trump, I'm not on the Trump train at all. I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't I didn't vote at all. Because I do not consent to being governed, but especially by those fucking people. But no, I, I don't I don't think Trump is going to do anything. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm dead wrong. I hope I have to come on this show in a year and be like, dude, I was totally wrong about Trump. He killed it. He's fixing everything. But guess what? It's still spraying chemtrails. Fucking, you know, I, I, I don't think I don't think anything's going to change. But like I said, I hope I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. There really does seem to be way too many campaigns to have to reel back. For me to ever be completely satisfied. I mean, there's just too much going on. Yeah, and this is mafioso type stuff, what's going on at the upper levels. At, at the very least, you have to understand that there are people that conspire. Of course, we all know this, that people conspire at the highest levels. Do you really think that the mafia that's been entrenched in the government, the black government, whatever, the dark government behind the scenes, do you really think that Trump's going to get in there and be like, oh, well, we've been doing this for 67 years or whatever, but this guy came in. Let's just all go home now and you know, <laughs> put our tail between our legs. And no, man, right. that's not that's not how it works. If pe the people that are extremely evil that want power and have power are going to do anything in their power to keep it. You can guarantee that. Mm -hmm. And just when I look at the way Trump interacts with his own daughter, sometimes I don't see creepy. Yeah, that pedophilia is going to be at the top of his list to do something about it. i mean and he's been to epstein's island 
So I, I've heard a lot of people you know, praise Trump and it's like he's going to do something. It's like, OK, but you're overlooking the fact that he was – I think he had how many phone numbers in Jeffrey Epstein's now famous, infamous black book. Mm. So what was he doing at Epstein's Island? <laughs> yeah, you got to ask those questions. Well, to touch on maybe a positive aspect or angle of this, do you take Pizzagate as sort of a milestone in the Age of Awakening at least? It kind of needs to come out, right? I mean, yeah, I it's I don't I don't I honestly don't have a good answer for that question because yes, I I feel in one respect it's like I I I can't imagine that they wanted this to come out in any sort of way whatsoever. So the fact that it did shows that there are a a, a ton of ton of really caring earnest sincere caring loving compassionate people out there that want to snuff out this insipid evil. And that warms my heart. That gives me hope. That makes me love humanity. So that that is a positive. But where's this going to go? I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's it's hard to say. And I want to throw this out there because I might be joining you in the great Facebook exodus because I've also <laughs> been seeing these stories about Facebook's new third-party fact-checking system. It's pretty concerning. This actually, I wrote it down, comes from Zero Hedge, but Facebook put out an official statement saying, we believe providing more context can help people decide for themselves what to trust and what to share. We've started a program to work with third-party fact-checking organizations that are signatories of Pointer's International Fact-Checking Code of Principles. If the organization identifies a story as fake, it'll get flagged as disputed, and there will be a link to the corresponding article explaining why and disputed stories will appear lower in the newsfeed. So there's that. And then Zero Hedge goes over to the Pointer website and grabs this. It says, Pointer has been receiving funds from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Open <laughs> Society for Foundations, which is funded by George Soros. George Soros. So <laughs> this crackdown, it, it's getting very real, man. If there's any PSYOP element to this, it would be that they released information that can't be proven in a court of law that they could probably sweep under the rug just so that they could do this uh, crackdown. So I've heard that before too, which is obviously a perspective to keep on the table for consideration. But the, the, I mean, the only, the only problem with that is that they've been trying to censor us for a very, very long time. I mean, YouTube's Heroes program has been out for how long? And that, I mean, that went over like gangbusters, mm -hmm. right? That people fucking hated that. But I mean, what were the other, um, like CISPA and stuff like that? They've been trying to censor the internet for a very long time. They're going to do it. If this came out and they're just using it, I mean, the entire, the entirety of government, even by the etymology itself, the entire government itself is a psychological operation or a psyops. So even if something comes out that is not in their favor, you can guarantee that they're going to use it and manipulate it to make it into their favor. Yeah. And I think that's what's going on with Pizzagate. Here we have an organic, a truly organic, citizen-wide, worldwide investigation into this stuff where you literally had hundreds of thousands of people, thousands of people working on this and bringing it material out, and it just built and built and built and built and built. And so obviously they saw this was happening. They ignored it, ignored it, ignored it, and then all of a sudden they came out with the fake news thing and to just to try to try to get rid of it. So I think that's what's going on. And I totally agree with you. That's what I'd put my money on too. It's just one of those – Never let a good crisis go to waste situations. Exactly, yeah. And uh, so when it comes to Pizzagate, I did this show with David Seaman, who has been pretty vocal about it. But David Seaman? <laughs> Jew right. Carlwood? Right, exactly. Chill. <laughs> you gave... <laughs> Sorry, you, you had messaged me, and I, I, not an hour earlier, I was, I was starting to listen to that interview, and I ended up not getting to all of it. But I was reading some of the comments, and that was one of the first ones I saw. It was Jew Carlwood. How dare you have it? I was just like, yep. that's yet another reason why I kind of want to step away from this stuff. That in, in fan childishness that that reactionary bickering yeah. uh that shit i'm so done with it i'm so done with the shills i'm so, that that calling people shills i should say i'm so done with all of that i don't mm. want to engage with that anymore so anyway sorry <laughs> no i agree with you and <laughs> it's just that so hard to see the jew carl it's just okay whatever dude anyway i mean I, I try to let that stuff roll off of course i know you get that too and you just have to but 
At the same time, you put all this work into setting up an interview with someone and preparing for it and recording it and editing it and putting it online. And then you go to see an hour later, hey, I wonder how this is doing, you know, if people like it or not. And you see stuff like that. It's like, you know, what the fuck am I doing this for? It definitely makes me not want to get right to work on the next episode. But anyway, I I thought that episode was good. It went over the uh, Pizzagate 101 stuff, but David doesn't have much of an occult or symbolism background and it's kind of hard for him to analyze those aspects of it but what are your thoughts on some of those threads and just the legitimacy of that aspect of the investigation well i mean that is only going to be done by guys like you and i and and this sort of circle because obviously it's never going to get into the mainstream you know Mm -hmm. i did the de-occulting of john podesta video right i thought it was really good it's gotten tons and tons of shares and views and stuff like that and I, i mean i said in the video i said right out it was like everything that I'm presenting in this video you can do. If you have the ability to do arithmetic and you know, basic math and know how to spell, you can verify every single thing I'm saying in this video. But that you're never going to see that on CBS News or you're never, you're never going to see it at the New York Times and things like that because that will be ignored as much as possible, meaning the occult aspect of it because the devil wants to remain hidden. Right. That's where he does his best work <laughs> when no one knows he's working. And so that's what you're going to see. The mainstream media, I mean, they're never, they're hardly ever even going to talk about pedophile. I mean, there was the big uh, pedophile case in Australia, right? And 60 Minutes did an expose on it. Never aired in the United States. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not even going to hear that, let alone Satanism and, and that sort of thing. So right, that's uh, the deep end of the pool for sure. And yeah. I did like that the deocculting of John Podesta video that you made. It kind of centers around that photo of. Podesta with his hands raised, a 14 on one palm, a Jesus fish on the other. I asked David Seaman about this, and he really didn't have any kind of answer. Can you tell us a bit about the symbolism and message in that picture? Yeah, I mean, the the video is very short. I think it's only like 17 minutes or something. So I would definitely say just check the video out because it's pretty much I go over everything there. But the first thing you have to ask is, and somebody had mentioned this. So basically the email, and it was like 39999 or whatever was the email. And in the email, he was sending a message to, I forget what her name is, but it's the person that runs Hillary Clinton's Twitter account. And so he was sending her a message, and, and it was the list of things from some organization or what, whatever it was that was a list of things that were, like, helping the environment. And so, you know, one was global warming and two was blah, blah, blah. And number 14 was life under – I think the thing was called global goals is what it was called. And number 14 was, like, life underwater, right? Mm-hmm. And so here's a guy – John Podesta, the chairman of Hillary Clinton's campaign, sending a private picture to somebody else within Hillary Clinton's campaign of his hands in the air and a 14 in one and a fish on the other. And so people are like, well, all he's talking about is, you know, global goals, man. He's just really concerned with the the oceanic life. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So this guy, when he's not fucking babies and eating them he's really concerned about the fishies under the water <laughs> and, and and that kind of shit it's like what else would what else would that be what, I mean, what else is he talking about there mm-hmm. and then of course you see the fact that he's got on i think it was on his left hand he's well uh, yeah his left hand is all scarred number one which people have said that's probably a spirit cooking thing whatever i have no idea but he is wearing one of those friendship bracelets that joe biden gave Barack Obama on his own Instagram account. He's wearing that. Isn't that fucking creepy enough? With a pizza charm on it. Yeah, with a fucking pizza charm. What grown man that's the chairman (laughs) of a campaign for a presidential candidate wears a goddamn friendship bracelet? And then, you know, it's like I have nothing to say other than that. Then that alone is creepy enough for me. It's like to me that's that says a lot. So – so people had argued saying, yeah, well, it could just mean the 14 in one hand and the fish in the other is just talking about global goals. And, I, and I'm thinking that is so fucking naive. Right. I'll never understand why people want to make excuses for politicians they've never met. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about what if, if he is guilty, which I absolutely believe in, in my heart of hearts that he is guilty. What you're, you're covering for a pedophile? You know, it's OK to play devil's advocate until you start actually advocating the devil. well said yeah that video is really great you do a great job of summarizing what the symbolism there could be and i want to get to your book and to kind of segue to it part of that video well let's say this anybody who's familiar with your work will know that you 
tie a lot of things into this English alphabet cipher that is kind of the crux of a lot of your work. And when you apply that to counting up to the number 14, people would, of course, have to see the video. You get 322. And fish equals 23 in Gematria. 14 times 23 is also 322. So there's a couple of different ways that you can plug things in and come up to this number. And that's also a number that we see with the Skull and Bones logo. And that does get some attention in your new book, Pi in the English Alphabet, Volume 3. Talk to us about maybe Skull and Bones and their use of the number in their logo or what it might mean in a wider sense. Okay, so yes, in the Deoculting of John Podesta video, I go and I explain why, but I go and I look at the gematria equivalents of the numbers 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, the words. And I plug the numbers in and you get 322. Now, the first time I'd ever discovered this, well, it just kind of came out, but I immediately was like, oh, 322. Well, of course, that's skull and bones. Well, if you go to – and I cover this. It's, I don't know, eight pages or something in the book. So it's pretty it's pretty terse and short. But if you go to the classic skull and bones photo that most people know where George Bush is to the right of the grandfather clock, right? Well, there's 15 gentlemen in this photo. So there's six on one side, six on the other, and then three in front. And so basically what you have, when you look at any sort of base number system, this is something I cover pretty extensively in the book as well. Whenever you look at any base number system, you start with zero. It doesn't matter if it's a decimal system, deca means 10. That means you're dealing with the numbers 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. A binary system, which is what the internet is created on, is a system of two. Bi means two. But it's not the numbers one and two. It's the numbers zero and one. So this inclusion of the zero is fundamental to any single number system that you use, period, end of story, fact. That's just math. There's nothing controversial there at all. So when you look at this and you see the skull and bones, you know, this, this image, which they've actually used this formation in more than just this one picture with George Bush, but you see 15 gentlemen and you can actually see that if you count not one through 15, but zero through 14, you get the 322 that is on the Skull and Bones logo. So if you know the gematria, right, then you can actually see that even how people are standing in a particular picture and the way that they're standing can actually reveal to you high occult information. Hmm. What's also interesting is this entire thing is based off pi. The entire cipher is based off the number seven and pi. And pi in the English cipher is pi, which is 3, 5, and it equals 8. Well, in the – and I, like I said, I covered this in the book. In the picture, the, the famous skull and bone picture, the grandfather clock is – it's at 8 o'clock. And so you say, did they just happen to take the picture at 8 o'clock or did they turn the clock to 8 o'clock because they were trying to you know, encode something? It's the same kind of thing when you saw the – I'm sure you've seen this. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this. It was like – I forget what the magazine was. It was like 1971 or 1972 or something like that. But it's David Rockefeller on the cover of it. And he's talking about building the World Trade Center and his watch is turned to 9-11. So I don't even see it. So yet once again, there's, you know, he's he's encoding something very cryptically. And if you just, if you know what you're looking for, you'll know what he's talking about. If you don't, you don't have a clue. And that's exactly what's happening with John Podesta in that picture. He's showing a fish in 14. If you know what he's talking about, you know what he's talking about. If you don't, well, you're like most of the people of the world. <laughs> yeah, man. So also what can be said about the Skull and Bones logo itself? People tend to think a skull and crossbones just means death or that pirates used it because it was intimidating on their flags. But there is a deeper meaning even to that part of the logo, right? Well, yeah. So number one, why you, you've seen, I mean, this is on like the tarot deck and it's, there's like a bunch of like Freemasonic illustrations and alchemical illustrations and things like that, where you'll see uh, the skull cap basically, right? Well, what's interesting is when you look at, especially when you look at pie involved in all of this, you see the human vessel as you know, a, a piece of biological architecture designed by an architect. Then you have to look at all the pieces of that architecture and see what you can elucidate. And so I go and I look at the hands, I look at the sections of the body, bones in the feet, bones in the hand, that sort of stuff. Well, the, the skull itself is composed of 22 bones. So there's like eight for the facial and 14 for the cap, I think. And so it's a total of 22 bones. And this, you, you will find this in any medical journal or, or dictionary or anything. It's just, you'll, it's consistent. 22 bones. 22 bones create seven orifices, two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, and a mouth. 22 divided by seven is pi. 
3.142. So your head encodes pi. I mean, just the, the, the bone structure of your head gives you two particular numbers being 22 and 7. 22 divided by 7 is pi. And so that's obviously, to me, especially when you look at all the other ways that they've encoded pi, that's obviously one of the things they are encoding with this skull and crossbones. 322, what's 3 plus 2 plus 2? It's 7. 7 in English gamatria is S-E-V-E-N. It's 65551 and equals 22. And 22 divided by 7 is 3.142. So in the word, in 322, in the skull itself, you have all these things pointing to pi. Right. And yeah, the square and compass, the Freemason square and compass, the G being the seventh letter, you could almost say that 322 or G are ways to represent the same thing, right? Absolutely same thing. And even in that picture, that very famous picture of the skull and bones with the 15 gentlemen representing the numbers 0 through 14, there's six on the left of the grandfather clock and six on the right of the grandfather clock. And then there's three guys in the center. Well, if you if you look at the three guys in the center, they're actually they're crossing their legs as in to form a square. And then there's a guy that's in the middle of the table that's like bending down and is like the lapel of his jacket or whatever actually kind of forms a compass in, in a way. It forms the angle of a compass. So even right there, you have compasses and square within that picture. If, mm. if you know, once again, if you know what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, it's just so tough to decode this stuff because I talked to so many different researchers who really have conflicting opinions in a lot of cases and trying to unravel it can be really difficult sometimes. So I think a lot of people just like trying to unravel uh, the economy. They just get fed up with it, throw up their hands and say, this is too complex. The thing that I've found with most researchers, and I guess maybe this is why I get called a shill and a gatekeeper and all this other bullshit. But the thing I found with most researchers that look into the occult or look into the subversive or the esoteric or the mystical or the magical, they're only looking for the darkness. That's it. That's all they're looking for. They're looking for the evil. They're looking for the malicious. They're looking for the people that have fucked them over. And that's all they're looking for. And I always, and I say this and I reiterate this and I say this again and again and again, and I'm going to say it again right now. The most evil you can possibly do is to take something that is good, true, and beautiful and distort it and destroy it. Mm-hmm. And so when you go to look at you know, the different uh, secret societies and occult, things like that, you have to understand that, yeah, they are doing some insanely evil stuff. No question about it. But just beyond that evilness is the light that they've hidden from people. And so that's the the impetus or the, the crux of the work that I do is to try to go in and try to reclaim and reappropriate that light and take it fucking back from these pieces <laughs> of shit, you know, and yeah. that's what that's what I want to do. And so that's what Marty Leeds 33 is all about. A noble goal, man. And so. One more point about the Skull and Bones logo is you got the crossbones, and those are femurs. And so what's the importance of the femur bone? Apparently, it has to do with astrotheology and Sagittarius in some way, right? Yeah, so a femur bone, femur, by the way, so it it shows the skull and crossbones, and the, the crossbones are femur bones. So the femur is actually an anagram for fumer, which is fire, and Sagittarius is a fire sign. So you have Sagittarius and Sagittarius and Scorpio are actually two constellations that point to the center of the what will the center of the galaxy or the center of the dark rift, whatever, however you want to take it. I'm not sure if I'm speaking to flat earthers or sphere earthers anymore. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to I'm sure I'm going to get some hate there. It's a grab bag around here. It is. It really is. So so you have these two femur bones and they're actually once again, this is just a skull and crossbones. But if you know what they're talking about, you can actually see that they're encoding astrotheology in there as well because i mean they could have chosen any bone they could have chosen the forearm bone or whatever but they didn't and so that's really interesting and then you start to realize how this is something i've covered in uh, not in volume three but in other texts but you start to realize like how much like astrotheology and star study and that stuff is is encoded into language especially within the human body as in Man is a reflection of the heavens, and so obviously you're gonna you're seeing these things. So ovaries and aries, uterus and uterus, hmm. right? You get this, things like that. You can see that these things have been cryptically and creatively encoded within even the names of bones and and parts of the human body, which shows the just the high mysticism that surrounds us all the time, but that w- most people are just completely, you know, they just don't know about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that is so interesting, the connection to fire, because 
fire even is often depicted as two logs crossing each other with a flame where the skull would be like that imagery is very similar. Yeah, I guess I never thought about that. But yeah, that's pretty spot on, dude. Yeah, Just weird stoner thoughts. So, you know, I've talked to quite a few guests here and there about Masonic symbolism, but something I don't think we've ever discussed is the apron, which is something you cover in the book. We know it's there, but what can you say about its importance? Okay, so I would actually highly recommend a book. He's a 33rd degree Mason, Uh (laughs) but it's a, I know, fantastic writer though. One of the best esoteric or mystical writers I've I've really come across with, and his name is Frank C. Higgins, and he wrote a book called Masonic and a History of Its Uses or something like that. I forget what the book is. It's a pretty short book, but basically he just goes and shows the long history of the use of aprons by many, many different cultures, everything from like the Mayans to it's like a bunch of different like native cultures actually use the apron. So it's not necessarily even a Masonic thing. Number one, another book that is by another Mason, Timothy Hogan, and I think it's in the book Revelation of the Holy Grail, which is his pseudonym is Chevalier Emery's, I believe is is what it is. But he actually goes in that book and, and talks about the long history of the use of the apron. Now, the traditional apron, and I actually have a friend who he's a Mason and his father was a Mason, good friend of mine, Ryan, and he has a traditional lambskin apron. And the proportions of the apron if you basically if you make the apron a unit of eight, there's a flap that comes down and that actually creates an upper triangle. Well, basically what's under that is nothing. So if you actually create what would be the hidden triangle or the occulted triangle within this, according to the dimensions of the apron itself, what it gives you is the proportions of the Great Pyramid of Giza. It gives you a, a, a triangle that's essentially eight by five, which is very close to a like twenty two fourteen eleven seven triangle, and that is squaring the circle. That's a proportions of the Great Pyramid of Giza, and squaring the circle is, of course, what the Freemasonic square encompasses. Is actually talking about an ancient mystical mathematical art, hmm. and so that's one of the things encoded from my own measurements and from what Frank C. Higgins has said. That's one of the things actually encoded in the apron. So once again, a front part of an apron. There's nothing on it, and yet there's deep occultism right there. Man. Which is which is insane because there's literally nothing there, and yet there's a whole bunch there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like done on purpose because that's exactly what critics use to snicker and laugh at all this stuff and saying, oh, my God, look how much these crazy guys, these nuts, these conspiracy nuts are, are reading in to something as simple as an apron. But yet, you know, if you're really listening, it's sound. It makes sense. Well, this is the other thing, too, is that when I present something, the the whole goal in presenting it is to say, here is what I've found. Don't believe me. Why would you believe me? I'm just some dude on the higher side chats. I could be talking complete bullshit. Do not believe me. <laughs> it happens. But yeah, of course, right? I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> but the good thing is, is it's math. So you could go check it. That's true. And that's that's the point that I always like to make. So it's like, hey, just, you know, go check this out. Interesting thing about since we're talking about the apron and skull and bones and things like that. One of the things I mentioned in the book is 322, right? Yeah. Well, I've covered I I cover mirroring and and mirroring of mathematics and language and things like that. And even the cipher is mirrored and all this stuff. So one of the things you can do is mirror 322 and give you the number 223. Well, 360 degrees of a circle minus 223 gives you the number 137. Well, 137 is the 33rd prime number. Damn. <laughs> so here you have, once again, just in a number, 322. What does that mean? What is the mirror of 322? What happens when you add it up? All those things that we covered can all be 100%, 111% verified. There's no question about it. All you have to do is do a little math. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. It is so amazing just how these things go completely full circle. And I love that Skull and Bones breakdown section of the latest book. And of course, it is the third volume in a series. Maybe we should step back a bit and give people some context on the first two. What sort of groundwork do your first two volumes cover leading up to this third book? Well, the the whole like arc of the series of books was basically just to do, like I say in the back of the book, it's an open exploration of sacred number and, and the mystical properties of language. And so basically the whole three volumes, and then I did another book called The Peacock's Tales, but is basically just 
taking this cipher, explaining the cipher in numerous ways, how you can actually find the cipher encoded in, I mean, just tons of different stuff. The Ouija board, the Tetragrammaton, the UN logo, the emblem of Israel, this Freemasonic square and compasses, dice, the Zodiac, the chromatic music scale, the major music scale. All of this stuff encodes this cipher, and you can all check it yourself. So basically what I tried to do is just take this cipher on a world tour and just look at all the ways that it could possibly be used. Now, this is a an honest academic scientific pursuit through this stuff and an honest like linguistic, mathematical and theological pursuit. So in any true scientific investigation, there are going to be mistakes made in errors made and things that you, you know, look back later and you're like, oh, OK, this was wrong. And I don't see a lot of researchers doing that out there. I see a lot of people telling you their theories and their beliefs and stuff like that and pushing their perspective and pushing their ideology and things like that. But I don't really see a lot of them doing science because science is actually saying, hey, I'm going to present you a whole bunch of information. And what we're going to do is we're all going to look through it and we're going to see, hey, what's right, what's wrong, what's 100%, what's a little wonky and that sort of thing, and then build off there. That's a true scientific investigation. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what I wanted to do with this series of books was like, here, here's a whole bunch of stuff to take a look at. Some of it's not going to pan out. Some of it is. But it's all for your, you know, to, for you to, to investigate and look through and things like that. And as it's come out, I mean, I've been doing this for half a decade now, basically. And there are things that from the very first day, the first day I did it, are just as strong as and solid as a case that anything else since, I mean, today. Yeah. You know, five, six years later, whatever it's been, the thing that I discovered five years is still as solid as it's ever been. Mm -hmm. And that's really what. I want to do with this series of books is present this in a true academic sense. Yeah. I love it, man. And it is a wild ride. You know, you mentioned the light and dark a bit, a few stops back. And like I mentioned in the intro, anyone who looks for it, they can see the code in reality, the Fibonacci sequence, pi, the golden ratio. But the big question is, is this engineered system, this human terrarium meant to be a positive or negative environment? Is this great architect a positive being of love or the demiurge and his gang of archons that the Gnostics warned us about? I have an idea of what you're going to say, but what are your thoughts in this area and deciding between these two polar opposite views? I mean, number one, God is love. So as far as the, the concept of the creator, the unnameable is what I call it. I mean, the great creator, the great spirit, that, that being is a... It, you know, it didn't create earth to be a hell. You know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Man, in my opinion, is put here and we were given this sort of gradation of experience to actually to use our free will and our sovereignty to go and go through this sort of spectrum of reality. We're given choices every single second of our day and we have to navigate through those choices and make the best choices. So every single second of every single day, we are given that choice between the extremes of good and evil. And that's one of the things that even the Bible talks about. It's like, hey, well, the first thing was a, a tree, and it was knowledge of good and evil. And so, and man ate from that tree. And so that is the understanding of that we are strung between these, these extremes, these polarities, and we have to find balance within this scale. And I think centering the self, I think, not being self-centered, but centering the self, I think is ultimately what the human drama or human experience is all about. And when you look at like sort of like the chakra system aspect of this or like the sacred heart of Jesus, if you will, the heart chakra is the center of the three up and, you know, three, three below and three above. And so finding that center is literally, in my opinion, the spiritual process of finding that God is love is to, is to lead with your fucking heart, is to go through this world and lead with your heart, is do everything to with compassion and care and love and honesty and integrity. That's really what the spiritual pursuit is about. Throw all the numbers out, throw all the language out, throw all the Bibles out, throw all the Qurans out, throw all that shit out. At the end of the day, when you cross the gates of death, your heart's going to be weighed. How light your heart was is what is going to count. And that, to me, is the true experience of God. Mm -hmm. Well, I do love the tie-in to the Egyptian weighing of the heart ceremony. And I like your positivity, man, but you say this world wasn't meant to be a hell you know, or a prison or a trap, in other words. And I go back and forth about the nature of the environment because 
Sure, it's great to get out into the woods a bit or watch a sunrise over the beach. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. But actually, living in nature doesn't seem to be that much of a cakewalk. If you take away all the conveniences of modern society and put us in the world just as it was designed, I mean, this is a system where most animals live close to starvation mode, and the food chain is set up to be pretty brutal and a very painful system of consumption where many living things are still taking their dying breaths as they're watching the flesh rip from their bones. I mean, <laughs> this doesn't sound like the setup of a loving being to me. You know what I'm saying? Anything anything that's worth doing is worth enduring pain. <laughs> that's That's all I'll say about that. Think about your show, man. Yeah. Think about putting this thing together, how many times you've had fuck-ups and failures and, and bad guests like, I don't know, Marty Leeds or something, <laughs> you know, and you had to, you've had to endure a lot of different stuff in your life to actually – but that whole process has actually made you what – and we've talked about this before. I think we talked about this on my podcast. That process has actually hardened you and what made you who you are. And so I think those trials and tribulations that are offered up in so in what you could consider a harsh environment is actually there for you to overcome those things. As far as like living in nature, yeah, we are sort of divorced from nature. I agree. But I mean, if we would have grown up in a tribal society or so, uh, uh, you know, some sort of civilization that was actually living in concert with nature, living in one with nature, I don't think we would see it as such a harsh environment. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when I go out into the woods, yeah, at any point I could break my leg and I could starve and die. Right. And so therefore it's like, that's the, that's the cold, harsh reality of the fucking wilderness, man. But you know how many times I've gone on those hikes and saw the top of that mountain and looked around 360 degrees and ate that shit up and came back down and loved it. So that's, that's the, the, the good and evil. That's that polarity once again. Mm -hmm. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I went to the Grand Canyon for the first time not long ago and quite an amazing experience to see the sunrise there to see these big elk walk right through camp like they just don't have any fear of humans. I mean, there's some great stuff out there, but I worry that we maybe romanticize it a bit because we're able to dip in and out of it. I mean, have you seen Naked and Afraid? It, just making it 21 days is a is a challenge that we put people on TV for. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't really have that much to say about it other than I think our perspective is very skewed because we live in this very, well, we live in little boxes, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. we're so torn apart from understand. I mean, how many people w will walk out and know the, the ascension and declination of the sun, know where the moon is going to rise today, even know what direction they're walking. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're so divorced from all of that stuff, knowing what plants we can go out and eat, knowing how to actually plant crops and know how to till the land and know how to do that stuff. So many of us, myself included, I'm absolutely 110% guilty are we're, we're we're separated from this stuff mm -hmm. and i think that there is a connection a, a deep connection to nature and it, it may it might be romanticizing it right and i i could agree with that a little bit but i would also say that i've turned my life into poetry and i think it's one of the best things i've ever done you know william blake i think this was on um maybe logic i think it was that robert anton wilson documentary maybe logic where he was talking about how william blake asked him what the sun was or whatever. And he said something like, oh, it's like a thousand angels singing a choir to the heavens or whatever, or it's just a big burning disc. It's how you see it. And that's your choice. That's your choice. I see this world and even all the pain and the torture and the torment and everything that I've been through, all the depression, all the fucking failures at the end of the day, I still embrace this thing so much so that I'm, I'm inspired by it. <laughs> Man. Even, even when we're dealing with child molestation and pedophilia and things like that. I still am inspired to keep moving and keep doing more, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I getcha. And let's get weird for a minute. This might be the weed talking, but wait, are... wait, we're getting, we're just getting weird. We're just going to get weird. This is, this is the, the climax of weird. I think, I mean, I don't know, but there are some researchers way out in the deep end of the pool, just to, this dichotomy of how you look at the world as, as either a prison or, you know, as you're saying something more positive, there are these researchers way out there that will say that when we die, the light at the end of the tunnel is an archon trap to recycle souls. I don't know how you can know that, but I actually just heard this term someone use false ascension matrix, which is kind of provocative and nice. It's a nice way to summarize that. But the idea being that 
by stripping away initiation in our culture, by making psychedelics illegal and not promoting things like meditation or spiritual growth, we are completely unprepared for that crucial moment of death. And some type of nefarious beings take advantage of that. And as soon as we get into the astral plane and we see the light, it's actually a, a trick or a trap, like a moth being attracted to a, a bug zapper. I don't know. It's out there. But what are your thoughts on this? Are, are you going towards the light, man? <laughs> There's a what's that? Um, shit, it just is, it's the Terrence, Terrence McKenna line where he says, upon death, you will be condemned to live out the consequences of your tastes. <laughs> How about that for an answer? I like that. I like <laughs> if, it. You know, if that guy believes that when he gets to the light, that at the end of that tunnel and all it is is archons that are going to trap him and, and bring him in, you know, bring him back into this endless recursive cycle of life and death and life and death and life and death. And it's just that's that's the eternal infinite hell. Then I'm assuming that that's probably what he's going to get. Yikes. I guess I got to work on my on my worldview a little bit. <laughs> Dial that in. <laughs> That's just, hey hey my perspective is just as valid as his too so fair but yeah I, I told you it was gonna get weird there so <laughs> just on the subject that new HBO show Westworld plays on a lot of these ideas have you watched that at all no I've I haven't watched TV for a long time so <laughs> well it might be a good distraction from the PizzaGate stuff because it gets you to think about some deep threads without all the pedophilia although it is dark. Somebody, my friend was just telling me that a new show, The Exorcist or something, or The Exorcism, or I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but apparently that has a ton of just really, really deep occult themes and a lot of sort of offhanded or underhanded references to actually what's going on now. That's what he was saying. So I don't know. I love that kind of stuff, but I'm a media junkie and it's nice to um, be able to convince myself that I'm somehow learning, even though I'm really just sitting on the couch doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question to you quick? When you said you were going off Facebook, have you th or, or thought about it? Have you thought about any other social medias? Because people had asked me that and I was just kind of because I was thinking about Gab or something like yeah. that. But I kind of want to stay away from it a little bit and just see where this thing goes. Yeah, you know, I actually was tempted once before. I can't even remember the name of it now, but there was a, a time where there was some media platform or social media platform that was being touted as the new uncensorable Facebook and it just died out. And Gab, yeah, that's the new one. David Seaman seems to like it. I like Vote as a Reddit replacement, but that's not really social media. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think my answer is probably going to be just to engage with it less, keep it there, but engage with it far less than I do already, which is limited. I already get a lot of people saying, you never answer my comments, man. And it's like, well, dude, I, I don't want to live in front of the computer screen. I'm sorry. Like, no, no yeah. offense. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't trust Facebook, of course, but I guess until I see a real alternative that seems like it's going to be around, I'm really sick of making usernames and passwords for websites. <laughs> and just forgetting them all. Right. <laughs> but right on, man. You know, I always love talking to you, and that pretty much does bring us to the finish line here. Remind the people about your book, your music, or even your podcast, which thankfully seems to be back again. <laughs> for I don't know for how long. We'll see. So, yeah, so started up the podcast again, Marty Lee's Mathematical Radio Hour, um, iTunes. You can get it. I, I post it on YouTube as well. It's just one-hour show. It's quick and easy. Basically try to be really focused on the conversations. And so there's that. I've got several books, Pie in the English Alphabet series, and then a Peacock's Tales, that one. That's all available on martyleads33.com. And then, yeah, I've got music, um, some on iTunes of three records you can check out. And so there's all that. Uh, Reverb Nation, you can listen to my stuff for free, too. I think I have it on YouTube as well. Yeah, I do. And then I'm actually working on another record. It's all written and everything like that. I'm hopefully going to record it, hopefully, this next year. I planned on doing it this year, but, you know, Pizzagate and <laughs> books and all, all sorts of crazy shit got in the way. So hopefully that will be recorded uh, early this year. So lots of stuff. And I'm working on uh, a bunch more videos. So I'm not doing too much social. I'm not doing any social media anymore, basically. Keeping the podcast going, though, and I will have a series of videos coming out. So Solid. Fascinating as always, man. Typically, we do close out a Marty Leeds episode with a Marty Leeds song. Do you have a particular one that you think would uh, play us out nicely that you could maybe introduce before you, of course, send it to me and I can add it in? Okay. Um, yeah, let's do Mr. Vertigo. Let's do that tune. That's This is a song off um, this uh, I, first EP that I made, or I'm sorry, yeah, first EP that I made called The Mountain, and you can get that on iTunes. And yeah, this is all home recorded, did everything myself, edited, mixed everything, so.
Love it. Mr. Vertigo. Awesome. Well, you are the man. Keep fighting the good fight. All right. Thanks, buddy. You got it. There we have it, Higher Side Chatters. Another return guest and another more casual conversation than might be typical. I did plan to talk about Marty's new book a little bit more because it is full of great stuff, but there are just not a lot of guests I can talk to about Pizzagate so freely with. So that was a breath of fresh air for me. I hate to hear someone I respect and admire say they're being affected negatively from the research and not taking good care of themselves. That's no fun. I understand how it can happen, but hopefully it just doesn't last too long. Leaving Facebook probably has been helping. I know it's a huge source of my frustration. Sometimes I don't even know why I look at it. But having done the deep level work he's done, being a musician too, he's got a great work ethic and he's talented and he really motivates me to want to do more myself. Also, a little bit of time has passed since we actually recorded this to its actual release and his Pizzagate Primer video is actually up on his YouTube page now. So do check it out. I think he did a phenomenal job. And we know it's taken a toll on him, so the least we could do is appreciate his contribution. But this conversation was really kind of something I needed to, just to talk about Pizzagate and the fake news narrative with someone who I'm on the same page with. Even hosting a show like this, sometimes you see people break from a particular topic and just start lashing out, and Pizzagate has really been a big one for that. And of course, I've gotten a ton of great messages where people loved that episode with David Seaman, and I appreciate that. But in the time since, I've really seen a way more aggressive and self-righteous type of critic. Now my show isn't just stupid and pointless anymore. Now it's actually dangerous and irresponsible. And I just have to speak up and be vocal in defiance of this weird wave that seems to be coming in. I'm okay with critics of this show and every show. Donald Marshall, Francine Kelly, we've done some controversial stuff and that's fine. But this is more of a framing that I'm uncomfortable with. And I'm afraid, if we're not careful, could last a long time when it comes to alternative media. But I have been saying this more and more, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, so I am going to put this kind of talk away for at least a few weeks, unless something changes. And for all those who just heard the first hour today, you know we got that second hour if you want to subscribe. In this one, we get more into Gematria, Marty's latest work. We talk about our different perspectives on the Bible. We talk about the flat earth paradigm. We get into the why of these codes within key texts and symbols. The idea of them being ritual workings, perhaps. The number 432, why it's so important. The speed of light, the symbols behind the Sphinx, how the English cipher works with other languages, German, French, Spanish, which is a huge part of his latest book. All good stuff. And I think a great counterbalance to that last Crow show it's funny because both Crow and Marty are big into analyzing the construct and both seem to think we live on a plane rather than a planet, but they come at it from two totally different angles. Crow sees a prison planet meant for nefarious purposes. Marty sees a beautiful existence of love crafted by the Grand Architect. Both don't think we can get into space. So they agree on some really radical stuff and just look at it differently. I find that interesting. And I hope you do too. But that's going to be it for me this week. I've done my part. Your move, perverters of sacred truths. Your fucking
I can't call this me the one 